Hi, need a ride? Hop on in. I'm headed to Julia's Trucking Cafe. Come on, let's go. We made it just in time. Come on, let's go get a seat. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Julia's Trucking Cafe. Glad you have a seat and something to drink. Now sit back and enjoy the show. I have lots of news to get to, so let's get right to it. In Pohuska, Oklahoma, law enforcement has searched a semi-truck that they stopped and they say it was loaded with about 18,000 pounds of what they're call what they believe is marijuana loaded in 60 containers. Officers say it field tested positive for marijuana, but they are running more tests just to be sure. This was reported on January 9th. The Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics says it's only legal for someone to transport marijuana in Oklahoma if the person has an Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority or OMMA, Medical Marijuana License. Pawhuska's police chief says neither of the men in the semi-truck had any Oklahoma licenses. Uh, Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics says that this case likely falls under federal guidelines since the truck was not from Oklahoma and not destined for Oklahoma. If the investigators determine it is marijuana, the transport would be illegal on a federal level, you think? Pohuska Police Chief Rex Wickle says two officers pulled over the semi-truck just before 3 a.m. on Wednesday because it didn't stop at a stoplight in town. In other words, it ran a stoplight. When the officers walked up to the semi, they reported smelling an odor of marijuana. Wick well, duh. Wickle said the truck field tested positive for marijuana. He also said paperwork indicated the truck is loaded with as much as 24,000 pounds of possible marijuana. Wickle said the two men who were following the truck in the minivan told officers they were the truck's security team. Wickle said the minivan ran the same stoplight as the semi. The police chief said the driver and a passenger in the semi claimed they were hauling industrial hemp from Kentucky to Colorado and showed the officers a bill of lading, which is similar to a receipt. Not really. It is the shipping papers for the truck that tells you the weight of the cargo, what's inside, how many containers are inside. So it's not a receipt, not whatsoever. So he's wrong in that. Wickle said paperwork showed the truck has been between 18,000 to 24,000 pounds of possible marijuana stored in the 60 containers. The police chief said the bill of lading didn't look right and the men's stories didn't match. Wickle said the four men are in police custody while multiple agencies investigate, including Pawhuska Police, the Osage County Sheriff's Office, the Oklahoma Highway Patrol, the Oklahoma Bureau of Narcotics, and the DEA. 
So everybody's going to jump on board of this truckload. Shoot, that'll be a heck of a haul if it is found out to be marijuana and they are shady in transporting it across multiple state lines. Now, just when you thought that self-driving trucks were a myth, Freightliner comes out with a new Cascadia that can steer, accelerate, and brake without any help from you. This week, which was last week on the 10th, Daimler debuted North America's first quote-unquote level two automated truck in Las Vegas. The semi-automated model year 2020 Freightliner New Cascadia made its debut on Monday, January 7th at the 2019 Consumer Electronics Show at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Daimler says the new Cascadia is the first SAE Level 2 automated truck in series production in North America. Level 2 automation means that the truck is capable of steering itself as well as accelerating, decelerating at any speed range without assistance from a human driver. The 2020 Cascadia Level 2 automated features are designed to support a fully engaged human driver, not to replace him or her. Yeah, right. We're working towards that. Trust me. The 2020 Cascadia will feature proprietary, if I could talk, y'all laughing at me. (laughs) Automated technology, including active lane assist, Adaptive Cruise Control, Active Brake Assist, and Side Guard Assist. In other words, crash idiot-proof stuff like I have on my truck now. That when you get too close to somebody, what does it do? It doesn't beep, it doesn't ward or anything like that, or it's been uh, shut off. It'll slam on the brakes and throw the driver through the windshield. That's always great. Daimler says the semi-automated features will enhance highway safety and make driving easier. Really? Daimler also promises, uh, I'm sorry, but it makes the driver lazy because you're not paying attention anymore. You're too worried about um, listening for the beeps and what happens when a driver gets lazy and they're not paying attention. They start playing with their e-cigarettes. They start playing with their phone. They start getting on Facebook and social media and, you know, playing games and steering with their feet and uh, reading books and magazines and stuff going down the highway because we don't have to pay attention anymore. Daimler has invested nearly $600 million in automated truck technology and says that their goal is to put SAE Level 4 highly automated trucks that won't even need drivers on the road within the next decade. You can take a quick peek at the Freightliner New Cascadia in the video below. It's there if you want to. Me, personally, I'm not going to. When that happens, I'm going to even retire. By then, I'll be out here 40 years, and I'll even get off the road when that happens. In other news, Indiana closes popular rest stop, making it harder for truckers to find parking. An Indiana transportation official say they will save millions of dollars by shutting down a busy rest stop in the near future. Indiana Department of Transportation says they'll be shutting down the Nancy Hanks rest area off of I-64 near Dale. Though there is currently no set date for the shutdown, they warn that both the eastbound and westbound facilities will close in the near future, according to a report. 
Um, they say the cost is the major reason for the rest stop closure to keep these facilities up and running. You're looking at a significant investment of probably millions of dollars per facility. So for the two facilities, there's $2 million. That includes annual operating costs, all the maintenance we have to do, contractors and things like that. Um, crime is also reported a factor in decision to close the rest stop. Though the rest stop is not an overnight facility, its closure to ca is cause for concern for many members of the trucking community. The uh, uh, Indiana Motor Truck Association said of the closure, Indiana already has a truck parking, sh parking shortage, so any reduction in capacity is a concern. I've been told that the resources that are currently used to support those three locations will be reinvested to build new facilities. I look forward to seeing that plan. In, uh, Indiana DOT currently operates 19 rest stop locations that provide truckers with 1,444 semi-truck parking spaces statewide, which is not enough because you have to go through Indiana if you're going to get anywhere. 70, 64, 65, um, not so much 75, but any of the major arteries uh, 80 and 90 across the top, 65 runs north and south, 64 runs east and west, 70 runs through um, Indianapolis, 74 into Indianapolis. Yeah, there's major interstates going through that state. We can't get around it unless you go all the way around the bottom. So you either run all the way through it without stopping, and it, you know if you loaded late or something, you're kind of screwed. So they just don't think. They're too money-hungry. They're too busy, worried about millions of dollars, you know. They don't give a shit about us. They really don't. None of these states do anymore. It's getting pretty bad out here. I'm sorry, but it is. On to better news. A historic superload begins the four-day journey. This started on January 7th. So at uh, this, as I'm reporting this news, it is done over with. Sorry. Authorities in Alberta, Canada say that a gigantic industrial tower, which is the quote-unquote heaviest load ever to travel on their roadways, is currently on the move to a new location, thanks to a group of heavy haul experts. On Sunday, January 6th at 9 o'clock at night, a massive propylene-propane splitter started its four-day trip from Edmonton to Industrial Heartland, north of Fort Saskatchewan. Authorities say that in the superload's longest configuration, the load, including all of the trucks, is 587 feet long, 31 feet wide, 42 feet high, and weighs more than 900 U.S. tons. Now, one ton is 2,000 pounds. So 900 times 2, that's roughly 180,000 pounds. When on our roads, only 80,000 pounds is um, allowable. A press release from Alberta government calls this the heaviest load ever to travel on Alberta's highway network and points out that it is heavier than Caterpillar's largest mining truck, which is used in the oil sands, and six times as large. The Global News reports that there are a total of 912 tires on the trucks and trailer hauling the superload. 
The move is being orchestrated by heavy haul specialists at Mamome, something like that. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. The propylene propane splitter will be used to convert propane into plastic, which can then be turned into household goods. Authorities warn that the superload will be taking up both lanes of the highway, you think, and will be traveling well below the posted speed limit, so drivers in that area should expect delays. The truck is scheduled to reach its final destination on January 9th. You can see the massive superload making a turn in this video in, on the bottom of this article, which will be in the show notes. So I'm sure it has a push truck and everything else. They were saying it should be a final destination on January 9th. That was only three days then, not four. <clears throat> In more news, a trucker says he was reaching for his e-cigarette moments before rear-ending a car tractor. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Moments before rear-ending a farm tractor. An Illinois man lost his life when his farm tractor was rear-ended by a semi-driver who said that he was distracted by a dropped e-cigarette. The crash happened just after 1.30 on Sunday, January 6th in Saline County near Harrisburg, Illinois. Illinois State Police say that Raymond G. Bowl 60, was driving a tractor southbound at a slow rate of speed on U.S. 45 when he was struck from behind by the semi-truck driven by 56-year-old semi-truck driver Kevin S. Volker. Bowles was airlifted to a nearby hospital where he later died from his injuries. Volker was not hurt in the crash. Volker later told police that he had been distracted after he dropped an e-cigarette in the cab of his truck. The Illinois State Police, Sergeant Mark Zimmerman, explained there was a statement made involving an e-cigarette. It had fallen onto the floorboard, and he had reached down to grab that. And by the time he looked up, the tractor was in front of him, and he couldn't slow down in time before crashing. Volker was cited for failure to reduce speed to avoid a crash. Zimmerman reminded drivers about the dangers of driving while distracted. We need to make sure that we are focused on driving while driving and try to limit all distractions inside the vehicle, he says. Not only get on to truck drivers, but what about car drivers that are texting and talking with handheld devices up to their head instead of wireless headsets like us commercial drivers need to have? This week, this episode of Julia's Truck and Cafe is brought to you by Julia's Virtual Assistant Service. Have you ever thought about hiring a virtual assistant? Do you even know what a virtual assistant is? Well, may I suggest you contact Julia's Virtual Assistant Service to find out how they can help you and your business. Do you have things that you hate doing? Are you an owner-operator and have receipts that you have to turn in to your accountant? Pretty soon it's going to be tax time, guys. Well, hand them over to Julia's Virtual Assistant Service and concentrate on the things that you enjoy doing. From basic website design, social media marketing, bookkeeping to transcription, Julia's Virtual Assistant Service can help you and your business with the things that you hate doing. Any task that you have, hand it over to them. Contact Julia's Virtual Assistant Service today by going to their website at juliasvaservice.com. That's juliasvaservice.com, juliasvirtualassistantservice.com. And if you don't find a service on the website that you may need, please email her under the contact page. Is there 
email. They have fast turnaround time with low economical rates. Now back to the news. Washington State DOT warns drivers to expect the worst closure in state history. The Washington State transportation officials are warning drivers to do everything that they can to avoid what is to expected to be one of the most disruptive road closures in state history. This weekend, which this uh, again was January 9th, State Route 99 over the Alaskan Way Viaduct in downtown Seattle will shut down, triggering a three-week period of traffic nightmares that is being dubbed the Seattle Squeeze. The road closure is set to begin at 10 p.m. on Friday, January 11th. About three weeks later, a new four-lane tunnel will reopen to replace the Alaskan Way Viaduct. And Viaduct is meaning bridge. That's an old term for uh, overpass or bridge. Since the Alaskan Way Viaduct carries 90,000 vehicles every day, this road closure is expected to cause serious traffic headaches for the next three weeks until the new tunnel opens. This, quote, Seattle squeeze is the longest major road closure in Puget Sound history. It is dramatic. Everyone traveling in that region will be impacted. Heather Marks of the Seattle Department of Transportation said, The road closure is expected to be so bad that transportation officials are encouraging Seattle residents to work from home, leave for work much earlier than usual, or take a vacation during the road closure. Holy mackerel. When DOT tells you to take a vacation and don't even go into work because the traffic is going to tie up is going to be so bad, that's going to be pretty bad. The extra traffic will likely be pushed onto I-5 and the 405, according to traffic experts. Washington State DOT has released a series of maps to help truckers understand how freight routes will be impacted during the road closure. And you can, there's a link in this article where you could click to view the map if you happen to run Seattle. The Alaskan Way Viaduct was built in 1953 and was weakened by a 2001 earthquake. The structure will be dismantled over the next several months. You can access real-time travel time information from Seattle area by clicking in the link again in the article. Washington State DOT gives drivers the information that they need to know how to survive the State Route 99 road closure in the video that's listed in the article as well. Now a new toll means truck drivers will pay $55 to travel this length of interstate. And I bet you, you never guess where it is. Lawmakers are moving forward with a plan to place tolls on one of the busiest interstates in Virginia in order to fund infrastructure upgrades. On Tuesday, January 8th, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam presented a legislative proposal to start tolling both commercial and passenger vehicles on, guess which one? I-81 Interstate. The new proposal would add toll gantries every 40 to 60 miles of the 325 miles of I-81 in the state of Virginia. Though the definite toll rates have not yet been decided, tolls for trucks are expected to be set around 17 cents per mile, meaning it costs truckers more than $55 one way to travel the length of I-81. 
Tolls for passengers' cars are expected to be $0.07 to $0.11 per mile. Drivers of cars and smaller trucks would be eligible to purchase that their Pike Pass to allow them unlimited travel on I-81 for a set fee. But semi-trucks, of course, won't be eligible for that. Tolls will be discounted at night to encourage drivers to use I-81 at off-peak hours. The tolls are expected to bring in $150 million per year. The toll funds will be used for infrastructure improvement projects designed to ease traffic congestion on I-81. These improvements include widening lanes, adding electronic signage, and increasing resources to more quickly clear crashes on the interstate. Trucking groups have condemned the tolling plan, the Virginia Trucking Association and CEO Dale Bennett said. The tolling plan must still be approved by the Virginia General Assembly, which starts its session on Wednesday, January 9th, but it is expected to pass. Which, that's a load of of horse pucky trying to keep the show um, G-rated. And there is a few more details of this. Mr. Bennett said the Commonwealth Transportation Board I-81 report lacks many of the needed facts it would require to launch a tolling program in Virginia. There is no discussion of the federal application process or even a mention that one is required. The report does not look at diversion levels and negative effects on other roads caused by tolls, nor does it assess the economic impact that tolls will have on recruiting businesses to the region and increasing cost of businesses along the I-81 corridor. There is no mention of the lengthy NEPA environmental study process, nor discussion of the capital or administrative costs of tolling. It would be hasty of the General Assembly to move forward with so many unanswered questions and so few details on what an I-81 tolling program would look like. The trucking industry supports an increase in the fuel tax as the fairest and most efficient way to fund road improvements and maintenance. Quote, unquote. In other news, a pickup truck driver cut off a semi who was ca- a flatbed who was carrying a load of steel, which penetrated the cab and killed the driver. A semi-truck driver lost his life in Michigan City on Monday when a pickup truck driver cut him off, causing his load to shift and slam into the cab of his truck. The incident was reported just after 6.30 in the morning on Monday, January 14th, near Monroe Township in Michigan. According to a news release from the Michigan State Police, the semi-truck and pickup truck were both eastbound on S. Custer Road, also known as Michigan 50, with the semi in the right lane and the pickup truck in the left lane. As another passenger in the vehicle in front of the pickup stopped for a red light, the pickup truck driver changed lanes abruptly into the right lane, which positioned it in front of the semi-truck. The semi-truck hit the back of the pickup truck, causing the semi-truck's load of steel to crash through the cab of the truck and to hit the driver. The 54-year-old semi-truck driver was pronounced dead at the scene. The pickup truck driver was taken to the hospital for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries, and the crash remains under investigation. Anyone who witnessed this crash is asked to contact Michigan State Police at 734-242-3500. That's 734 
zero zero. If I am right, most of the time when you're in town and everybody loves, all the cars love to do it, you'll be coming up to a red light and there'll be two and three and four cars in one lane and nobody in the opposite lane and they'll shoot over in front of you and then slam on the brakes to make the light. And if he wasn't expecting that maneuver, there would be no way for him to stop. If the roads were wet, he could have slid into the pickup truck. I mean, we just don't know. And you're going to find this story disturbing. A popular weather app has been tracking and selling user data without permission, according to a California lawsuit. Authorities say that the app, quote, tracks users' movement in minute detail, even when the users are not actively using it. Los Angeles prosecutors have sued the operators of one of the nation's most popular weather apps for allegedly tracking users and selling their data to third parties. According to a statement issued by L.A. County Attorney Mike Fuhrer on January 4th, a lawsuit has been filed against the operators of the Weather Channel mobile app. The lawsuit accuses the app operators of allegedly, covertly, mining the private data of users and selling the information to third parties, including advertisers. Prosecutors say that the Weather Channel app uses geolocation technology to monitor user locations 24 hours a day, even though it promised users that it would only use the location technology to provide personal weather information. Hmm... Doesn't that kind of sound like Facebook? The suit alleges that the app tracks users' movement in minute detail, even when users are not actively using it. The lawsuit accuses the app operators of sharing user location data with parent company IBM, as well as other third-party companies, for advertising and other commercial purposes entirely unrelated to the weather. The app operators also sold the data to hedge fund operators seeking information about consumer behavior, according to the lawsuit. The Weather Channel app operators are also accused of deliberately obscuring the way it will use geolocation data information in its privacy policy in order to convince about 80% of users to allow the app access to that data. The suit seeks to force the Weather Channel app operators to stop deceptively collecting and selling personal data in addition to $2,500 in civil penalties for each violation. Any court ruling would only apply in the state of California. IBM has denied any wrongdoing. More than 45 million people use the Weather Channel app. So I, I am not... I do not get sponsored by um, this entity at all. But what I have found is there is a internet um, provider that will mask your um, IP address. And it, I use private internet access, it's called. You could use it on your phone. You could use it on your laptop. Um, a v, uh, virtual private network. Um, you can download it if you have an iPhone. You could download it on your on the app. Um, but it's uh, what's called a VPN, and it masks your um, true IP address. So 
your um, location and your data and everything is protected. I have another one on my Mac that I'm using as recording the show. So um, you may want to check into that. I want to say I greatly, greatly appreciate all of you who tune in each and every week and who listen to the cafe. And if you are a new listener to the cafe and you would like to check us out on social media or on your phone or uh, we are a podcast as well, uh, we have a YouTube channel. We have I, we're on iHeartRadio, iTunes, and on the bottom of every podcast episode on the website at juliastruckingcafe.com, I have links listed um, where you could find me on any of those other mediums. Please like us on Facebook and don't forget to join our discussion group at Julia's Truckin' Cafe Regulars. I share recipes on our website under the cafe menu, videos of stupid things that drivers do, and much more. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe to our email list and I will send you the show notes right to your inbox. So this way you don't have to always come to the website if you want to access the articles and see the videos in the bottom of articles that I am talking about or referring to. And in the future, I'll be having new things coming out. So if you're on the email list, you'll have priority in getting a sneak peek and those new things that are in the works. Um, Before I forget, please feel free to leave a comment on the bottom of any episode that you listen to. I greatly appreciate your input and your comments um, on Facebook where I post them, Twitter, and also on the website. There's a space on the very bottom. You scroll down to the bottom of the episode and you can leave a comment. If you have an idea for any upcoming show, please feel free to email me. My email is on the contact page. And if you enjoy this show and you would like to become a sponsor, there's a link that you could click on that will explain how you can become a sponsor to the show. So until next time, keep the shiny side up and stay safe out there. Don't you